All right, let's pray. We'll get into the Word today. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your long-suffering, your gentleness, your kindness. You're such a good Father to us. We bless you. We bless you and we honor you today. Father, give us eyes and ears and hearts to receive this message this day. God, we honor you. Lord, there's not a person that's here today or watching online that, uh, that you knew, God, they would be where they are. You knew they would be here or there. Father, we thank you, God, for opening our hearts to receive today. Thank you for grace deposits from the Holy Spirit. We honor you today. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Well, today's message is going to be called Cast Away, and I've got my friend here, Wilson. You guys remember Wilson, right? He'll join us to the service. He's a little flat. There he is. He should stay. All right. I remember to know who Wilson is. Okay, just about everybody in here knows who Wilson was on the movie Cast Away. Uh, there's a verse that I read. Uh, I've read it many times uh, throughout, throughout my life uh, as I've read the Bible and I've come across this verse. And it's always, especially since uh, I was a, a minister, and, uh, and it's part of my, it's my vocational ministry as well. Um, it, it, it's always kind of meant something to me. And I read it recently in a, in a devotion. It kind of came up again, so it started up again. And uh, so I want to I talk about that. But, you know, in reality, isn't that the way that it's supposed to work? That when we read the Word of God, that we take time to reflect on it? How does this apply to me? Uh, how, is this, how is this, again, reflecting in my life? And I would never... I would never uh, want to say anything that would discourage anybody from reading one of the, the uh, year uh, Bible reading plans, one-year Bibles. They have them in several different translations. <clears throat> I did that. The last time that I did it, I did it. The chronological Bible has written from the oldest book to the, to the latest, to the newest book in chronological order. And, uh, and it was good. I enjoyed it like that. But sometimes what I found, <clears throat> and this is the danger, not the danger. I don't want to say that there's a danger in reading the Bible. But, <clears throat> excuse me, there's times when uh, I, if, I, if I missed a day or if I missed two days because something came up and I had to do something, uh, then you've got to try to catch up. And, and what I found so often, I was reading to keep up with my days and not reading it for, you know, sometimes I could read five verses on another plan or something and, and get more out of it. But I just found myself, and you just got to be careful when you read the one-year Bible plans, and I encourage you to do them. But again, just don't let it become something that you're just, just, you just got to get through. The Bible says in, uh, <clears throat> in James chapter 1, verse 23, this is out of the New Living Translation. It says, if you listen to the Word, and I think we could easily say, if you read the Word and don't obey, in other words, you don't do anything with what you heard, you don't do anything with what you, what you, what you read, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you this morning, you looked in a mirror? Okay. Now, a lot of you didn't raise your hand. Did you brush your teeth? Did you brush your teeth somewhere where they didn't have a mirror? Because you probably stood in front of a mirror, but you didn't raise your hand. You've got to cooperate with me. And it's okay to say, amen, oh me, pop the clutch, burn the stump, do all those things. It really eggs me on. It really draws out the anointing in me. So, uh, so again, how many of you looked in a mirror today? Be honest. Now, come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Father, just forgive those ones that still, God, they just, they said it in their heart. They weren't going to raise. No, maybe they didn't. Maybe they, honestly, maybe they didn't. Maybe I'm wrong. Lord, I forgive me for judging them. But you did. Okay. But, uh, you know, sometimes we, 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 we look in a mirror every day. Why is it that we're drawn to mirrors? Because we like to look at ourselves, right? And, uh, you know, there's sometimes we, 
we, we, we, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we walk away and we don't do anything with what we saw. And, but that's the whole point, I think, again, is looking in a mirror, is seeing things that need to be adjusted. And again, we, we adjust those things. Uh, most people uh, are, dr- are drawn to mirrors as opposed to being repelled by them. There are some people who don't like to walk in front of mirrors, though. I mean, it's not no superstition. They just, they have a low self-esteem. They don't like, they don't like the way that they look. And, uh, but so why do we do it? We do it. The reason we look in mirrors so often, because we want to evaluate ourselves. Not that we're so in love with ourselves, but we want to see some, some of us, we have a, in our house, we have a couple, Riley has one in her room. We have one in a, in one room in our house, a full length mirror. So that when we get dressed, we can see, make sure everything looks good and matches that our pants are zipped and all of those things that go along with that. But listen, um, but again, the main reason that we look in mirrors is because we want to assess ourselves. We want to evaluate ourselves. And what James is telling us here, he's telling us in, in chapter 1 that God's word is like a mirror. God's word is like a mirror. And just like a mirror in the natural, a natural mirror reflects what we look like on the outside, God's word is like a mirror and it reflects what we look like on the inside. And as I, again, as I said, sometimes people don't like to look at mirrors. Uh, I know some people don't like, they don't like, they don't like their picture taken at all. Uh, I, got, I know one lady that she has, uh, she's in her 70s, and she has a Facebook page, but she just has the, it's a generic Facebook, uh, it's not her picture, it's just something, that, and I tell her, I said, why don't you put your picture up there? I don't want anybody to see what I look like now. And she's connected with some people that she went to high school with and stuff, and, and their pictures are up there. I said, well, look at them. I said, they're, they're old, they're fat, they're, they're gray, or they're bald. And she says, well, I want them to remember me as I was in high school. And because obviously she, there's a self-image, a self-image problem there. And truth be told, there's a lot of people that don't like to read the Bible for the same reason. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirits, between the joints and the marrow. And look at this. Look at this. Here's what it says in, in the last part of that verse. This is the New Living Translation. It exposes our inner and most our innermost thoughts and desires. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And again, what does it do? It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And some people are afraid to look into the mirror of God's Word. They feel like if they don't read it, then they're not held accountable for it. But that's just not true. The Bible also says that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. So there's no... There's no, there's no getting away from it either way. But we ought to read the Word of God and do what, do what it says. And if we're serious, if we're serious about really wanting to be the best that we could possibly be in walking out the will and the Word and the, and the purpose of God in our lives, uh, the next verse there in James chapter 1, verse 25, gives us three very practical ways that we can do this. Let's read this, James chapter 1, verse 25, again, New Living Translations. But if you look carefully, most translations say intently into the perfect law that sets, it, that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Now again, three practical things. Let's make sure that we saw those in verse, verse 1, I mean in verse 25. But if you, number one, if you look carefully, look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. We've all taken a casual look in a mirror and not really done anything with what we saw. We've also, all of us, I think at one time or another, and probably many times, we've read the Word of God and we saw things that probably in us that needed to be changed, 
Maybe we needed to walk in love. We needed to not walk in offense. We needed to not be bitter, but we still were bitter. We still were offended at times. In other words, we looked into the mirror of God's Word, and we didn't do anything with it. So the first one, again, is looking carefully, looking intently into, this, into the Word. Number two is this, and if you do what it says. If you do what it says. But uh, again, it says, but he who looks closely at the perfect law, this is what the, the Weymouth translation says, but he who looks closely into the perfect law, the law of freedom, and continue looking, and continues looking. So we're talking about the person who keeps coming back to the word again and again and again and again and again, and he, we do things with what we see. Jesus said to the people who believed in him in John chapter 8, he was talking to them, and many began, hey, I believe in you. And he said, look, you really believe in me. You're really my disciples if you do what I say, if you continue in my word. If you continue in my word and do what it says. I love what the psalmist said in Psalms 119 verse 97. He says, how I love your teachings. I think about them all day long. So number one, again, is to look carefully. This is those practical things that, that we can walk in the word of God. Number one, again, look carefully, look intently, look continually. And number two, again, do what it says. And look at number three, and don't forget what you've heard. Then God will bless you for doing it. You know, the best thing that we can do to not forget what we've heard you know what it is? It's simply putting God's word to memory. Putting God's word in our heart. Doing what Psalms 119 verse 11 says. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says this. Therefore we must pay much, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. I tell you what, I, am, I find in my life that I'm a whole lot less likely to drift away from the word when I have it in my heart. Now it's just something that I read, but the things that I have in my heart, I'm less likely to drift away. So here's what this verse, and this is the verse that caught my attention. This is the verse that I told you at the beginning that I've read many times, but then there's just, and then recently I'd read it in a, in a devotional, it came up again, and it's something that, that uh, again, not just because I'm a minister, but it's a, it's a great uh, admonition that, that Paul uh, talked about that he did himself it's a great admonition for us and it's in uh, first chronicles not not, not so chronicle first corinthians chapter 9 first corinthians chapter 9 verse 27 this is the king james version he says but i keep under my body i bring it talking about his body into subjection one thing that uh, brother hagan used to say a lot uh when he'd read a verse like this uh, out of the king james because he used the king james pretty much exclusively he'd say this uh, you know, I, I keep my body under, I bring it to subjection. I bring it to subjection. He'd say, that's a little blind to us. And uh, so sometimes that's why I like to read other translations. Um, let me read. Here's like the New International says, I strike a blow to my body. The New Living Translation says, I discipline my body. Several translations say, I discipline my body. I like what the uh, English Standard Version says, I discipline my body, I keep it under control. I like that. So it says, so, it, so uh, keep, bring, it, bring my body into subjection, and it goes on to say, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. That's why I got the volleyball, it just reminds me about the message. You can remember this message now, because you just, you remember that volleyball there. So again, so, when, so when I've read that, when I read that, I think about, and maybe some of you think about, maybe some ministers that, that you know of in, in the past that have uh, have fallen, uh, fallen into to some sin, and, uh, and they became a castaway. 
uh, became a shipwreck. They shipwrecked their faith. And it's sad to think when you think of some of these men and women that have fallen, uh, the global impact some of them had, they spoke to, and just some of you won't even remember who this is. Some of you older people like myself remember Jimmy Swagger. It was in the 80s. And um, uh, PTL Club, uh, Pat, uh, Pat Baker, not Pat Baker, Jim Baker. Jim Baker, they were right about the, the same time. And both of these had millions of people that they, they, uh, they impacted with their ministries. And it's sad, again, when you think about how, how it, it probably all started with simply a, an uncaptivated thought. An uncaptivated thought. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says this, And bringing into captivity some thoughts. Every thought. Bring into captivity every thought. Where? To the obedience of Christ. To the obedience of Christ. Some of you have heard this before. Sow a look. Reap a thought. You know, you know that there's a difference between seeing and looking. You can see something. You know, I can look this way and I can see things going on. Somebody over here, you know, I, I can see Paula's left. She got mad and she left. Uh, I saw that. But I, wasn't, I didn't keep looking at it, no. Um, but when we see things, sometimes you see things, but when you begin to look, it's different. It's almost like you could sow a see, reap a look. Sow a look, reap a thought. Sow a thought. And the things about thoughts, thoughts can come. The enemy brings thoughts all the times to your mind. You believe what they said. Can you believe he did this? Can you believe they said this about you? He brings these thoughts to us. And when you sow that thought, it means you, you dwell on it. So you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. And I'll take it even one step further. You sow a destiny and you reap an eternity. But listen, that, those uncaptivated thoughts in some of those men's lives that we talked about, they festered in their lives, and it shipwrecked their faith, shipwrecked their ministries, and they became what Paul refers to as a castaway. As a castaway. Paul refers, in, in his first letter to his young son in the faith, Timothy, he wrote this to him, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, English Standard Version. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. Again, it wasn't his biological child, it was his it was his spiritual child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. Now those, in other words, there were some prophetic words that the, the presbytery, the leaders of the churches in Jerusalem, spoke over Timothy. He said, these prophecies that were previously made to you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now look at verse 19. Holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith, walking in faith, and having a good conscience. What brings a good conscience? It means you're obeying, you're walking out the word of God. You have a good conscience. I don't have a dirty conscience. I don't have a conscience that bothers me. A good conscience, watch this, by rejecting this, by rejecting what? Walking in faith and having a good conscience, some have shipwrecked their faith. And in the very next verse, Paul gives an example of some that have shipwrecked their faith. Verse 20 says this, Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now I want to be very clear about this. When I say a person has been, is a castaway or they're, they're shipwrecked, that doesn't mean that they've necessarily lost their salvation. Hello? You know, the Bible says when we run across people, we come across people that have sin, and the Bible says that, we, that if we're spiritual, what should we do? We should restore them. You, those of you who are spiritual, restore such a ones that have fallen away. 
So here's my point. Hymenius and Alexander and those ministers that I, that I mentioned earlier, they can be restored. And some of, them, some of them were restored. But that doesn't mean that they'll have the same degree of impact their ministry once had. Jimmy Swagger's ministry today is nowhere near what it was before the incident, the, the, the fall that, that he had. The sexual indiscretions that he had. And same thing with Jim Baker. Their ministries are nowhere close to what, what they were. Untamed. Untamed sin brings shame on the body of Christ. Untamed sin brings shame on the body of Christ. And their actions ruin their effectiveness for ministry. David is a great example of this in the Bible. David's sin, his sin with Bathsheba. Um, you know, he saw, he saw this woman. He, wanted, he invited her up to his place. It was, uh, her husband was one of his commanders in the, in his, uh, in the army. And uh, was a friend of his. And he, but he had her up. And she got pregnant through their, through their indiscretion. And uh, he tried to bring, he tried to bring uh, Uriah off. He didn't try. He did. He brought him off the, the battlefield and said, hey, you know, you can have, have a weekend pass with your wife because she had gotten pregnant by David and he wanted him to sleep with his wife so he would think the child when it was born that it was his. But the integrity of, of Uriah was incredible. He said, I'm not, my men are out on the battlefield. I'm not going to come home and play tootsies with my wife. And then them you know, sitting out, out there battling, he wouldn't do it. So he went back, but David sent him back with a note to give, here, give this note to your commander. He gave the note to the commander and it said, have Uriah go to the front lines of battle knowing that he would be killed. And then he took Uriah as his wife. And then the prophet Nathan comes along and, and tells Daniel, he tells him a little parable and he says, Daniel, you're this man. You're the one. You're the one that, that, that this story is about. And they said that David repented and uh, Nathan told him this. He said, David says, you're, you're not going to die. But he said this in verse 14 of 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verse 14. It says, however, because of this deed that you have given an occasion of the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. See, so when we publicly sin, we give the enemies of the Lord occasion to blaspheme. And because of that, the child also is born, shall surely, shall surely die. And so this is what Paul is saying in his letter that we read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He says, I keep my body under, I bring it into subjection, lest by any means that I have preached to others, I myself would be a castaway. I myself would be a castaway. The word castaway, let me tell you this, it comes from a Greek word, adokamus, adokamus, adokamus. Interestingly enough, the word dokamus means approved. You add an A on the front of it and it becomes disapproved, discredited, disqualified, or as the King James said, castaway. In other words, you could say that a person has lost their testimony. They've forwarded their reputation. They've greatly diminished their impact in their testimony. Just like, again, we mentioned that Jimmy Swaggart and Jim Baker, they greatly diminished their influence and their impact in the ministry. Another example of this, you know, Paul un undoubtedly knew of other individuals that had done things that had disqualified themselves. He gives an example of this uh, by talking about a man named Demas. He said, who was once a, a very valuable co-worker. He listed him among other people, such as Luke. Luke obviously wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, it said, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. And then Paul goes on, he lists several other ministers or co-laborers with him that send their greetings as well. Then in Philemon, remember Philemon only has one chapter, so it's Philemon, verse 23 and verse 24. Paul's talking about, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as does Mark, 
Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. But later in 2 Timothy, or the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he mentions Demas in, in that letter as well, but he doesn't mention him in, in, in nowhere near a positive light. In fact, here's what he says. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9 and 10. Do your best, talking to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 10, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, I don't know what the draw in Thessalonica was. I don't know if maybe they had some great resorts, great golf courses or something, but for whatever reason, I can't think of a better reason. No, I uh, can't think of another reason, but whatever was in Thessalonica, it, it drew him away. And it says again, notice it says, Demas in love with this present world. Now, does that bring up any thought, any other scripture, somebody being in love with the world? Does that bring up a thought, another scripture to anybody? And we, you know, the Bible says, love not the things of the world, that you can't love God and love the world too. We know that. But what the thing, when I, when I read that, that I think of is those, that soil, the parable of the soil that Jesus told in Mark, Mark's gospel. It also was in Matthew and also in Luke's gospel, but I like, I like Mark's version of it. But he talks about the four types of soil. There's the, there's the pathway, there's the stony ground, there's the thorny ground, and then there's the good soil. And only one of those soils, the last soil, the good soil, is the only soil that produced something. The hard, the stony ground was like the pathway that Jesus said that the seed, the seed of the Word of God was thrown on that, and immediately, immediately the birds came and ate the seed up. The birds represented Satan. The other seed, the stony ground, was that uh, seed were sown, was cast among the rocks, and it had... Some dirt had blown in the, between the rocks at different times, and so it had a little, ro- ro- uh, little, um, little rock, uh, not rock, had a little uh, dirt. <laughs> had some soil in there, but it wasn't much. It didn't have much depth. I love Luke's version of that. It says it, it didn't have much moisture. In other words, it didn't get watered. You know what that tells me? That when you hear a word preached or you read the word of God, you need to water that word by reading it and find other scriptures, companion scriptures that that go with that. Or you'll hear this message today, water this message, give this message more thought today. You water it. And he said, because it didn't have much moisture, because it didn't have much depth of soil, it didn't produce any fruit. And then there's the third soil, and this is the one that I see a lot of today. It says in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8, 4, 18, it says, And other seed, others are seed that's sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And here's the thing, and the desire for other things. And this is probably kind of where Demas was. He began to have a love for the world and a desire for other things. It enters in and he chokes the word and it's proven unfaithful. And again, David is, is another prime example of this. David had everything that, that we would dream, could dream of having. I mean, he, was, he had money, he had, he, had, he had everything that he could want, luxury in the palace and stuff. He had, he, had, he had inherited Saul's concubines. He had his own concubines. He had six or seven wives himself, material things. David had it all. But there was something else that David wanted, and it was a woman named Bathsheba. He wasn't satisfied with what he had. He saw that other woman. And my point in this, and, 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 and that I want to get across today, worship team, you guys can come on up, Jackie. Uh, here's my point that I want to get across. When it comes to becoming passionate about, when it comes to being passionate, are we more, are we more passionate about the things of God, or are we more passionate about the things of the world? And when we're more, <clears throat> when we're more passionate about the things of the world and desiring those things, then we're treading on dangerous ground. We're treading on being disqualified. We're treading on being uh, a castaway. 
How many of you know someone at one time that was more passionate for God than they are today? I wonder if there's anybody in this room there thinking of you. <laughs> no, that, wouldn't, that, would, that would not be, would it? How many of you know somebody that was more passionate? I've known people, I've known people that, my God, that they were, they, they were involved in, in uh, every, I mean, five or six areas in the church. I almost went to them one time and said, you guys need to back down. You need to back down. You're involved in too much. But today, they're not involved at all. There's something that's been lost there. Here's the answer. Here's my admonition today. Do what Paul did. Do what Paul did. Paul said, again, I run with a purpose in every step. I do not, I do not just shadow box it. I discipline my body as an athlete, training it to do what it should do. And again, it goes on to say, so that I would not be disqualified. I would not be a castaway. He didn't allow his flesh to rule him. He didn't allow his flesh to rule him. It's evident, again, it's evident, again, something, it's something that concerned Paul. He knew that he was, he was just as uh, able, he was just as uh, flesh to, uh, as anybody else that could have been disqualified. But he did something with it. It's evident. Do something. Do something. What are you going to do? You've got to have a plan. Remember, I love it in, in Daniel chapter, chapter 1, verse 8. It said, Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. He was, why did he know? What, why was it, what was the thing about the king's meat? He knew that he was going to be presented with that meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And he would not, he did not, would not partake of those things. So he purposed in his heart we wouldn't. And that's what Paul is doing here. He says, I, I buffet my body. I, I discipline my body so that when I preach the word to other people, I wouldn't be disqualified by those things. What's your plan? What are you going to do? Earlier in the service, I had, uh, I had a drawing. You, can't, you can barely see it on here. Two eyes, a nose, and a mouth, and the hair kind of matches the Wilson. You know, if you're a person that likes to get tattoos, get a tattoo of Wilson on your hand. And whenever you think of doing something, look at Wilson and say, don't be a castaway. I mean, whatever it takes, something simple, do something, come up with a plan to not be disqualified. Because listen, we can read, we can have series on overcoming offenses, and one person do something, say something, do something, somebody else gets the promotion, somebody else before you do, and then man, then we're offended. Don't be a castaway. The Bible says don't be offense because offense brings bitterness, brings anger. The enemy of our soul has a plan to destroy you, to disqualify you, to cause you to, be, to shipwreck your faith. To discourage you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Satan is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour us. What are the safeguards that you put in place? If you would stand with me, let's say this. Say this confession with me. Say, Father, I make it my aim to be upright and moral and godly. I refuse to allow sin to have a place in my life. When ungodly thoughts come, I take them captive. I command them to leave. These thoughts have no place in me. I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. I am committed and determined regarding my walk with God. 
the anointing of God will grow stronger and stronger in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we pray today that, God, that you would help us. Holy Spirit, you live big on the inside of us. Speak loud to us when we come up against opportunities to do things that would disqualify us, that would discredit us, that would cause people, give people the opportunity to blaspheme God, to to mock God, to make fun of other Christians because of something that we did or something that we said. God, we bless you and we thank you that you've given us an anointing to walk as ambassadors, as your representatives on this earth. God, and we do everything, God, within our power and through the power of the Holy Spirit to not be discredited, to not be shipwrecked or cast away. We bless you. We honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God.